listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Well, welcome to Faith Stories. Uh, I'm your host this week, Pastor Joey Wiestman. Uh, normally, our host is Anne-Marie Shambaugh, but since she is related to the people I'm sitting across from today, uh, she decided to step back and let me take over the hosting duties for uh, the week. I am very excited to sit across from Randy and Allison Aulis and get to hear some of your story and share it with our congregation. Uh, you may recognize Randy and know his work from Wish TV as a morning meteorologist. Uh, he's used to being on camera. Allison, not so much though. Uh, so I'm very excited to hear. I mean, he talks professionally, like for a living. I'm yes. very excited. <laughs> People write what he's supposed to say and then give it to him. But uh, I'm excited to hear from you and hear what you have to say and, and uh, your story together over 38 years of marriage. Uh, Randy and Allison have been part of Faith for 35 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, after living in a few other cities before moving here, and uh, we're excited to get started. Uh, Quick disclaimer if you're uh, watching this with kids around, uh, the topic, uh, part of the conflict that we're going to discuss this morning involves marital intimacy. Uh, So use discretion, we'll try to be as discreet as possible, but um, use discretion and wisdom as you listen with younger listeners present. Now you uh, prepared the beginning of this story and wanted to kind of set the stage for us by reading this paragraph. So let's start there. Okay, thank you, Joey. Um, According to Proverbs 18.21, life and death are in the power of the tongue. We all know how powerful words can be. They can encourage, soothe, even liberate. They can also devastate. Words like those are usually spoken with intention, as in the heat of an argument. Occasionally, words that are meant to serve a good purpose are heard through a filter that causes them to be misunderstood and can have cataclysmic consequences. Such were the words spoken by my new husband just a few hours in on our wedding night. Simple words totally obliterated the course of what we dreamed our life together would be. That course would take us through a 38-year desert walk. This is the story of how the Lord used utter heartbreak to bring about ultimate healing in our lives. To understand why those words were so powerful, we need to go back to the beginning. Back to the beginning. So you you said a a filter through which those words were heard. I guess we'll go back to the beginning and learn how those filters got put into place. Yes. Well, for me, I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home by parents that did the very best thing that they could do. They introduced us to the gospel from day one. I was delighted in and loved on as, you know, little babies are supposed to be, and um, all those needs for love and affection were fully met. But our family did have its own set of quirks that every family does. And um, looking back, you know, I know that we were loved. And I do have very many happy memories from home, but there were two dynamics that got set in place that my parents never intended that affected me. Um, In truth, our family was not demonstrative at all. I remember being very little and being welcomed on my daddy's lap and feeling loved there. And then I remember an age, you know, very, I was still very little, um, young enough it would be very appropriate. But all of a sudden I didn't feel welcome there. I just wasn't okay to be there anymore. And uh, my mom started backing off in terms of affection at the same time. And there weren't any words of explanation, um, just the tap of affection dried up. And so our family didn't use the words, I love you, either. We didn't hear them, we didn't speak them. Um, Years later, I came to find out about brokenness in each of my parents' lives that kind of explained some of the reasons why. But when you're a child, you don't understand that. And you will just think, there's something wrong with me. There's something untouchable about me. And those thoughts started to creep into my mind and affect my self-image. So you mentioned two dynamics, yes. uh, two things. So that, that's one, that's enough on its own, but yes. there's, there's more. Yes, um, the other one's pretty significant too. And that is that uh, my parents, you know, they wanted to be godly people and they wanted to set a good example. So they believed that they were setting a godly example by presenting a totally united front. They never disagreed in front of us, never argued, and they tried to also squelch any kind of disagreement between their children. And so that gave us the unspoken message that, you know, Christian families don't have conflict. And we learned how to sweep everything under the rug. And as you can imagine, that did not prepare me well for the realities of marriage. (laughs) I can imagine. Uh, So Randy, your upbringing, I assume, was identical, right? This isn't the point of conflict. Wrong. Absolutely wrong there. We were totally different. I, uh, when I was growing up, my years were a lot different than Allison's. They always swept things under the carpet, no conflict at all. 
To begin with, I was an only child. So that explains why I am, well, how I am today, you know, yeah, spoiled and everything else. Yeah, 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 64 is still a spoiled child here. Uh, my father worked in a factory for over 40 years. My mother worked as a cashier in a grocery store uh, for many years. My mother had the greatest spiritual impact on me uh, growing up because she was a believer and my father was not a believer. So that caused a lot of conflict in our home here. Uh, thankfully, he did come to know Christ, I believe, at the age of 65 years old. So it's truly a miracle, but it was a split family here. My mom a believer, my father was not a believer. Uh, back in those early days, this caused a lot of stress in our family. My dad had a very critical spirit, which caused a great deal of conflict and a lot of emotional pain. Um, I was a child with a lot of anxiety and the stress of it came out in symptoms of OCD. Although back then we didn't know what it was. I used to flip the light switches on and off, on and off, on and off. People say they're OCD and yeah, they're just saying that I was OCD probably still am somewhat here, but I used to flip the light switches on and off here, you know, check the locks over again, check the clock when I went to bed to make sure the alarm was set over and over and over again. Uh, at any rate here, while they dealt with conflict by sweeping it under the rug, we dealt with conflict by arguing and duking it out all the time. Okay. Totally opposite. I can start to see where this story is heading a little bit. <laughs> you did have that in common of growing up with a spiritual influence in the home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our childhoods did have one really good thing in common, and that's that both Randy and I came to know the Lord when we were children. And for me, um, I was seven years old, and I, as I said, I'd heard the gospel all my life. Um, our pastor had recently talked about it again, and I was thinking about it and just came to know, yes, I have sinned. And I knew the story. I knew that Jesus had died on the cross to save me from sin and that we needed to invite him into our life. And so all alone in my room one night, I just prayed and I asked Jesus to be my savior. And then immediately I went out and I told my mom what I had done. Mm -hmm. And she was very happy about that, of course. Yes. Yeah. And, and you have a similar experience. Well, I was a lot younger. She was seven. I was six when I got okay. saved here. So you've so. been saved longer. <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm more spiritual. I can tell you that. But I got saved at the age of six years old. My uh, salvation experience is a very simple one. I know we like the dramatic salvation experience for people who are either you know, on drugs or alcohol and they accept Christ. For me, it was through Child Evangelism Good News Club. The teacher one day was talking about heaven and hell and saying, you know, boys and girls, we're all sinners. We're on our way to hell. If you want to go to heaven, you need to repent of your sins. Jesus died on a cross. He shed his blood as payment for your sins. And so I heard the gospel message through child evangelism. I went home. I said, Mommy, Mommy, I want to go to heaven. So my mother, and I, my mother and I, we got down on our knees, and at the age of six years old, I prayed to invite Christ into my life. Mm -hmm. That's great. Uh, those are the kind of stories that our, our children's director here calls beautifully boring. Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Beautifully boring Absolutely. stories of God's just yep. normal grace breaking yep. into your lives. Yes, so, yes. Now there's, <coughs> you mentioned some kind of conflict and, and brokenness in your own home, and you mentioned the conflict and brokenness in your home. So there's uh, a spiritual... Uh, battle, I guess, happening. Were you aware of it as children, mm -hmm. or like, did you see what was happening mm -hmm. in your homes, or it was just it was normal? It was what you lived. So right, kids accept things as normal as yeah. just the way their life is, and they're not aware of spiritual warfare. So looking back, I can see that. Um, I can see that the enemy began his attack on my life very early on, uh, very soon after I was saved. And, um, you know, he doesn't have any empathy for the fact that someone comes to Christ as a child. He does not care about that. Um, so the theme that he chose to batter me with was that of rejection. And, it, it, you know, there was already a foundation laid forward in my life. And so he lost no time in building on that. And I came to see years later that he took every word picture in Scripture that um, the, the Lord intends for us to you know, have comfort in, and he tried to destroy each of those word pictures. So father and friend and family, particularly church family, and um, sweetheart and eventually bride. He just totally uh, took me for a ride in all those areas. Um, a time or two it turned out that it was more my perception than reality, but if you believe that you're being rejected, then it has the same impact on your heart as if you really are. And so where it led me was to being a miserable, self-loathing teenager. And um, I had suicidal thoughts. I felt that I was repulsive to people, untouchable, and like I had sort of like a soulish leprosy that people couldn't see, but they could perceive. And it sounds like even to the extent where you couldn't even go to God for comfort is all the ways that you would think of approaching him as father or friend or uh, bride are, were all being slowly corrupted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Randy, so, um, this is the woman you're about to marry mm -hmm. in this story, but there's things going on in your own heart as well. 
lots of things going on in my heart, and that's for sure. During my growing up years here, uh, Joey, I continued to bump heads with my father, and I also struggled with anxiety big time. This led to a lot of internal fear and a lot of frustration in my life. I learned to mask the struggle with OCD. Since I was a homebody at heart, I left home for college with really some mixed emotions here. I went to Wheaton College my freshman year. God had me there for spiritual reasons, but Wheaton did not have a weather program and I wanted to go into weather. So after my freshman year, I switched over to Northern Illinois University in DeKalb, Illinois, where I got my uh, Bachelor of Science degree in weather. Okay, okay. so you guys, uh, you're at different colleges you haven't met yet. What's happening in, in your life? Yeah, as I grew into a young adult, um, the Lord had given me grace and he had had me come to the point where I did some forgiving and I did some maturing. Um, so I was in a better place emotionally. Um, I was attending a local college and involved with InterVarsity there, so that was a good thing. And there had been a sweetheart and a devastating breakup, and so I had decided that I did not want to be in a serious relationship for a while. And of course, that's when Randy showed up. Uh, <laughs> he had been hired by a local station in Dayton and started coming to our church. That's great. So church, you met through church? Well, we did. Um, there was a little old lady there, though, who was okay. notoriously known for setting people on blind dates. Every church has one. Like <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, this lady had a, a track record. She okay. was a Baptist yenta, is what I call her. And she, um, we were the 21st couple that got married as a result of her. And I know there were more after that. Okay. Even after she moved to Florida, there were more. So um, she, it was simple. She invited us each to dinner, and we both accepted that and um, went out to dinner with she and her husband. And then she asked Randy to drive me home. And wow, the we, machinations. <laughs> did you know the other was going to be at this dinner? We did. Okay, we right. did. Yeah. With, when you got a call from her, you, you just knew there was what no was question. Okay. Yeah. And he was new to church, so maybe he didn't, but I did. Um, anyway. Um, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> so so we, he drives you home. We got then... acquainted. Yeah, we got acquainted, but there weren't any sparks to speak of. And I just thought, okay, that's the end of that. And okay. he dropped me off. So I was very surprised a few weeks later when he did call me. Okay, weeks. Randy, what took yep. so long? Well, Joey, during those weeks in between here, the Lord was working in my heart about some things that I had to deal with before he gave me my wife. Um, I had recently moved for the second time in a year. I mean, I, I was, I, I worked in Wausau, Wisconsin for a year, made new friends, moved to Dayton, Ohio. I had to start all over again, made new friends. I was in two colleges, had to make new friends both times there. And uh, I got tired of doing that. I became a very lonely person. I didn't want to make new friends like that. Um, I had always wanted to get married and have a family. And I think that that had become an idol in my life. So before the Lord could give me Allison as my wife during that few week period there, I remember one night in my small efficiency apartment in Dayton, Ohio, I was making the bed. I mean, it's just, you remember things when the Lord deals with you. You just do where you're, you were at and what you were doing. But I remember I was making the bed and all of a sudden I just said, you know, Lord, if I never get married, that's okay, I have you. Now I had probably said that a thousand times up here, mm -hmm. but I remember specifically that time, it's like the Holy Spirit took the words I said here, the knowledge and transplanted it down into my heart as truth. Mm -hmm. And it was the Lord's way of just at the right time saying, I want first place in your life more than the wife I'm gonna give you. And after that happened, then we started to click. So that happens, and that so you, you meet Allison, <coughs> then you have this making the bed moment, and then then you then you just give her a call out of the blue, like, uh, hey, I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling right with God. Now we can date, or how did that go? Yeah, that should go? I throw that story yeah, in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's it's then yeah. We're going off script, everybody. Yeah, we yeah, are. Right. We are. We're fun. winging it now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, actually what happened was a friend at church, a mutual friend that we both knew, called him and said, hey, do you want a double date? So it wasn't oh, okay. like he said, hey, I want to call her. Okay. He uh, wanted to double date. So he called, asked us if we would do that. And we, you know, then he called me and then um, we agreed to that. I was like, okay, great, we're going to do this. And like the day or two before they dumped out on us. Uh, and classic <laughs> so, move, right? So he didn't want to be, you know, ungentlemanly and dumped me so he went ahead and we went we went and saw a play and then we went out for dinner okay what was the play so uh, it was the miracle worker yeah the, the miracle worker dayton, miracle worker. Yeah, yeah. And this, it, dayton christian high school okay. i remember that yeah that's great all right so <laughs> you're watching the miracle worker you have dinner afterwards and every it just clicks um well it didn't click then it kind of set us up for the next okay. meeting when we would click he he we found out we had a common interest in intervarsity oh okay and then um 
he wanted to come to the next event that we had. So when I called him about that, then he came, then we really clicked. So that's the longer story. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's the second-ish date, and you click, and everything is, I mean, you've given yourselves over to God, so everything after that is happily ever after. Yep, that's it. All yep. right, we're okay, we're done. done. All right, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Well, not quite. Um, all of that happened in the fall of 1979, so yeah. thing did click into place for us, and we had the typical starry-eyed romance, mm -hmm. where, you know, um, I remember being both completely impressed and completely frustrated by the fact that he was being very slow about showing affection. And of course, being raised in the home I was, that's understandable. Um, I was really starved for it. Um, so it was quite a while before he held my hand or kissed me or anything, but eventually those things happened and nothing beyond that. And by the, um, well, by August, 1980, we had declared our love for each other. Okay, August, so you've said the, those faithful words, I love you. Took me a while, but I did do it, Joey. You got yes. it. I got there, I really did. And then, Joey, on September 29th, 1980, I planned a very special evening for us. Okay. And let me say this, too, is the day we got engaged here, and after all these years, I have never forgotten September 29th of 1980. We That's always right. celebrate that. That's awesome. That's because I have OCD, and I don't <laughs> forget those things. So. <laughs> It's burned in your memory. Burned in there, so, yep. Okay, so did you know this was coming? I suspected. I thought maybe he was going to propose, but I also was insecure enough to think that he might be breaking up with me. So uh, when he arrived at the door, he had a dozen red roses, so I took that as a good sign. That's a good sign, yep. yeah. We had a wonderful dinner, mm -hmm. and uh, then we drove to a park downtown in Dayton, Ohio. We're on a park bench. I asked her to marry me, and... Uh, after she thought about it for a long, no, she came right out and said, yes, I will marry you. But back then, and I think they still do it nowadays, I had to go and ask for her father's permission yes. to get married. Okay. So I remember, Joey, that this was a Monday night. So we went over to her house and we had Monday night football on. My, so you had to wait for halftime. I had to wait for halftime. I had to wait for time. I really did. That was the longest game ever, you know. Who was but, playing? I think it was New England and maybe the Bears or something. I could be wrong there. I can look it up. Someone can look it up for us. <laughs> I don't think Brady was quarterback way back then. But anyway, right, I waited until halftime. I asked her father for her hand, and he said yes. All right. So we got married. Okay, mm -hmm. so wedding preparations begin. Yes. Okay. Yes, we chose the afternoon of January 10th, 1981, for our wedding. And the best advice that I'd received uh, in terms of wedding planning was this. Someone said, so many details have to fall into place that you need to just make up your mind that you're going to enjoy the day no matter what because something is likely to go wrong, mm -hmm. not according to plan. At the end of the day, you will be married. Yes, that's yes. That's what matters, okay. So we thought that's great advice and we took it to heart. So the day came and sure enough, um, something did go wrong. Um, to put it delicately, Mother Nature decided to pay me a visit that day, which is not great on your wedding day. Um, there's some things you just can't plan, but we were disappointed, but I did manage to let him know before the ceremony and armed with our good advice, we were determined that we were just going to enjoy the day and we did. Um, it really was the happiest day of our lives and um, we knew that our wedding night wouldn't be what we hoped it would be, but we were just happy that we didn't have to say goodbye. At the end of the day. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, it, it, it's a bit indelicate but the, the roots of the conflict uh, that, that you guys have been talking about or are here to talk about are the honeymoon night. Yes. Um, so you get in the car and you start driving. Mm -hmm. She'll continue on. <laughs> yeah. This part here, so. yeah, we, uh, we chose, um, after the reception, we drove from Dayton to Lexington, a couple of hours. And at our hotel, we got as cuddly as we could given the circumstances. But um, we decided it would be wise to get some sleep. And, uh, you know, we had a long journey ahead of us. So um, being a romantic, I just had always dreamed about, you know, what would it be like to fall asleep in the arms of the man I love and all that. And uh, so we cuddled up and tried to sleep and we waited and we waited and we waited and we were not sleeping. So um, a little bit more time went by, but eventually Randy spoke up. And I, I can't tell you the words exactly that he said, um, but the basic gist of what he said was, don't touch me anymore. And for anybody else, that might not have been a big deal. But for me, it was like a nuclear explosion had gone off in my heart. It felt like a bottomless chasm ripped open there, and I could never fill it. Um, all my old insecurities and fears flooded back in. Those thoughts, I am repulsive. I am untouchable. There's something wrong with me. And now he sees it, but it's too late because, it, you know, we just signed on for as long as we both shall live. Um, 
of course, this was made far worse because it was our wedding night. We had the highest expectations of joy, you know, at least for a happy honeymoon, if not for a wedded bliss for years to come. Um, and truthfully, if it hadn't happened then, um, our baggage would have collided sooner or later. But as it was, the enemy targeted the time when we had the, um, you know, we were the most physically exhausted because wedding days are like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were the most emotionally vulnerable. We had the highest hopes and we'd hoped to be the most intimate, but that didn't happen. And so um, the train wreck of our baggage happened before that could ever take place. Um, the enemy knows when to strike to do the most damage. And so I spent the rest of our wedding night on, f on the floor in inconsolable tears. Okay, so an in, inauspicious in, in beginning uh, to wedded bliss. Uh, Randy, I mean, so you made a offhand comment of, of hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm being crowded here. Yes. Uh, and then Allison's on the floor in tears. I mean, what was going, yes. what was happening well, in your head? I'll tell you what, I was absolutely clueless to what had just happened there. I was stunned by her reaction. If I had known their effect her joy, I would never, never, ever have said those words to my, uh, to my wife. In my mind, I was just being practical. Uh, we had a very long drive the next day, and since I had been an only child, I had never had to share a room, let alone share a bed with somebody else here, and I just could not fall asleep that way. I just could not sleep, and I was exhausted. And there were other factors in play as well. We did not know it yet. He wasn't quite feeling it yet, but he was actually coming down with a really nasty flu bug where he got really sick for most of our days, gone. Um, and then also, I had no idea that he struggled with an anxiety disorder, and that was playing a big part in his reaction to my reaction. Okay, so the, the, there's a the cycle of insecurity and anxiety and what did I do and what did he say and it, so okay yeah. around and around but around and around and around but you're, you're still on your honeymoon you're driving south yeah we're heading south the next morning we got up and we traveled on heading down south uh, for the first few days of our trip I was really sick I had a fever and all the things that come with it here I just felt terrible uh, when I did begin to recover, we did manage to enjoy one day at Disney's uh, Magic Kingdom before starting to head back home. So just one day at Disney World. One day on Remember, we didn't fly, we were driving, so yeah. this took forever to do this here. Uh, we went through the motions in terms of our relationship, but something definitely had shifted. It was unintentional, but I'd started to back off in terms of expressing affection. Didn't mean to, but it just so happened. Yeah. slowly backing up and Allison that must have played into the insecurities oh, it, that you brought into the relationship. It did. It just revalidated all my insecurities and fears and during the latter part of the trip what we had hoped would happen on our wedding night finally did but whatever that bonding is that's supposed to take place just never took place because of our wounded hearts. Um, those first weeks at home I remember just feeling bewildered and under the surface something started happening that I never would have imagined. I started building an ironclad wall of self-protection around my heart. And as we settled into our new normal, more issues came to the surface as they do in every marriage. Mm -hmm. Happens all the time. Um, so remember the no con conflict home that I grew up in. <laughs> and the pro-conflict home that Randy grew up in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, uh, that combination really didn't mix too well here, at least not the way that I learned to handle conflict. Uh, in response to the harsh and critical spirit that I grew up under, I became very defensive and I became very angry at times. I really didn't realize it, but I really did. And I would often explode at over the simplest little things that would come along in life. And that added more tension to our Yeah, that mm -hmm. anger must have been yeah. not pleasant to say. Yeah, well, having been raised in a no-conflict home, I was terrified by his anger. I was really afraid. And even if what he was angry about didn't have anything to do with me, it always felt as if it did. So I lived my life walking on eggshells. And then after children started coming along, um, that got even more intense because I wanted to shield them, but I didn't know how. And um, my wall of self-protection just kept getting thicker. Um, another issue, Joey, that I brought into our home was that of a critical and a complaining spirit. I was awful. You had learned that growing up. Yeah, I had learned that. I just thought every family was like that. I mean, we all grew up like that. Anyway, I'm a verbal processor. I love to think out loud. My mom had always been a sympathetic listener, but she had overcompensated in order to be a safe place because my dad was so harsh. So whenever I had to talk, I would go to my mother and talk to her. I came to believe that it was my right to vent when I got married, I expected Allison to listen just as my mother had always listened. 
I never knew until many years later how hard this was on Allison. I would come home from work and I would gripe about things that weren't going right or anything that was bothering me and having OCD. This would, uh, I would voice my complaints over and over and over again, day after. Just keep flipping that I switch. I would keep yeah. flipping the switch. I really <laughs> would. In fact, I think it got to a point where Allison would dread me coming home from work. So you've become the uh, sounding board, the, the, the sound absorber for Randy's anger, whether directed at you or not. Like you, yeah. you got it. Yeah, it's funny you use that word because that's exactly what he would say about, you know, being a sounding board. Right. We never used that word with you in talking about this, but yeah. that's exactly what he used to say. Um, so along with my eggshell walking, uh -huh. I came to feel that my other role in life was being an emotional dumping ground for his negativity. And just like the anger, it didn't have to be about me in order to feel like it was. And so I fell back into depression and self-loathing. Um, I wondered if deep down uh, the reason he was angry was because he had married me um, because I'd never seen any of it before the wedding. But um, at one point I seriously considered leaving, but it was not because of the anger or the complaining. It was because I truly believed that, the, that they would be better off without me, both Randy and the girls. And so it was only the Lord's intervention that really kept me from doing that. Okay, so Randy, what... So Allison's at this point where it's like, okay, Randy was happy and then he married me and now he's angry. Um, which you're saying from your background had nothing to do with her, but nothing. of course it felt like it had everything to do with you. Absolutely. Um, so what was, you, you're, you're not the, an angry person now, at least. Not as angry, as probably, yeah. I'm not perfect, Joey. I like to think I am, but there's, it's not nearly as bad as we'll it used to be. We'll save that for yeah. next year's face <laughs> story. We'll right. talk about the anger issue. We'll be back. But, so you've, you've seen some victory in this area. Yeah. What, what has God been doing? Well, during this time, the Lord was faithful to keep uh, working on us in spite of ourselves, working on Alice and working on me. He brought about some major changes in both of our hearts. If he hadn't, we don't know where, what would have become of our marriage here if the Lord hadn't been working with us. But at any rate, he worked to bring each of us to a level where we could survive. For me, it was a trial being fired from my job back in 1989. And the months leading up to that, we had several difficult circumstances brought, which brought me to a place of desperation. There was pressure at work, along with the difficulties of our marriage. On top of that, um, we had a house that we were trying to sell in Oklahoma City. It took us 19 long months to sell that house. This is our first starter home. They always said, you know, that you can never go wrong in real estate. Oh, you can go wrong in real estate. We bought high and we sold low. We really did. We lost money and for us there's quite a bit of money at the time there. But at any rate, with the financial pressure in the mix, my anxiety grew uh, worse and worse as time went on. So I really believe that during those 19 months of trying to sell our house, that's where the Lord really reached into my inner heart. I may tear up saying this, but at any rate, it was a place where I, I, I prayed the prayer of surrender because I was frustrated. I knew that God could sell that house anytime he wanted to, but he didn't. But it was 19 long months, and I said, Lord, you're pretty much free to do with me whatever it is that you want to do with me. I want to live my life because of who I am in Christ, and I want to reach my potential in life as a father, as a husband, as a weatherman, as a Christ follower because of who I am in Christ Jesus. Now, when I prayed that prayer, you better watch what you pray because God would take you up in a prayer of surrender. I thought in order to reach my potential that maybe God would zap me with supernatural strength or ability, but usually it doesn't happen that way. There's something in life called brokenness. And so the Lord challenged me to go down this path of brokenness in life. And um, I kind of agreed that I would go down that path of brokenness, not knowing exactly where it was going to lead to, but it did lead to me getting fired and everything else. So anyway, along comes Charles Stanley. And he's, uh, yeah, he's still preaching, I think, in his mid-80s. Anyway, he was doing a series on the crucified life, the exchanged life. And boy, I tell you what, I was desperate. I was hurting. I had anxiety. We were struggling in our marriage here. It was awful. But God will provide somebody, you know, to come along to minister to you. Anyway, I'm going on. He, he, he had starting to, to preach here, right? I'm starting <laughs> to preach. We're going to take an offering pretty soon, I think, Joey. So anyway. I've had my wallet. I, so... I, I just remember that the crucified life, it was a big thing, and I would listen to his sermon over and over and over again, being OCD. Galatians 2.24, when Christ died, I died too with him on the cross. And so what the Lord showed me, in order for me to reach my potential in life, you know, the world's way is you get stronger, you get better, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, but the Lord was saying, come here, 
Galatians 2.20, you're my child. You don't have to be like the world is here. Look at Galatians 2.20. So he opened my eyes up to understand who I am in Christ. And when Christ died, Randy Alice died too. I don't get stronger. I don't get better. I get deader. That's the key thing for believers. So he showed me that you know, every morning when you get up, you pray that prayer of surrender and let Christ live his life through you. And it was because of that 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 really helped to ease my anxiety and a lot of struggles because of who I am in Christ Jesus. 220, that's I have been crucified with Christ, yes. therefore it's no longer I to live, but, but Christ, Christ lives, lives in me. me. Mm -hmm. Allison, did you see that change happening in, in your marriage, in your home? Yes, gradually. Um, and by the end of the time of his firing and going back and all that, um, the Lord had done a whole lot in decreasing his anger and complaining. You know, it's like he said, it's still ongoing in terms of it's a process for us all. But um, during any, you know, I, I would say during uh, that time, I saw the biggest change in those issues. The Lord did that in his heart. Um, and for me, a big change occurred a little bit later. That was 1989. Mine was 1992. And his mom had given me a book for Christmas, a Christian book. And um, I started reading it after the holidays were over. And I have never had a book just resonate with my heart that way. It was just the Lord's timing. And he used chapter after chapter after chapter in that book to address issues in my own life. And so he greatly used that to um, help reduce the self-loathing in my heart and also to rescue me from the deepest levels of depression. Um, just through that book alone, um, he used it. God was at work. Uh, during other years, you know, he, I'm talking about the years following now, but he, yeah, because I'm, I'm doing the math in my head. You've been married 13 years at that point, roughly, and you've been married 38 now. So we have 25 more years. Right. Yeah, uh, a quarter of a century. A quarter of a, I wasn't going to put it that way, uh. but uh, a quarter of a century to get to today. So yes. God's continuing to work. Right. Um, he was continuing to work during those years. Um, he used them to plant in me a true love for his word. Um, I'd always struggled knowing I should have a quiet time every day. And those years I came to, to the place where it went from being an ought to, to a must do. And it truly became the spiritual air that my soul needed to survive. Um, and then also at the same time though, I'm still clamoring and dedicated to the maintenance of my wall. And I'm clamoring behind it for heart to heart intimacy with both Randy and with the Lord. Um, I was continually in search of that one elusive piece of truth that was going to click into place and then just make everything good and you know we'd be back in our hearts like we were before the wedding. How many copies of The Secret to a Happy Marriage <laughs> did you buy, right? The, the secret, the yeah. thing. What yeah, is oh so yeah. many different books. Um, I I'd read books and I did Bible studies and I went to conferences and I sought out counselors and um, the truth was that marriage was my idol and when it didn't go the way I wanted I turned to other idols to deaden the pain. My drugs of choice were uh, binge eating and mindless hours of television. So my days became ridiculously split. I would, in the morning, study God's Word diligently, and during the day I'd take care of my responsibilities and my daughters, um, but the evenings were mine. If I couldn't have the marriage I wanted, then I would numb the pain of it until the Lord fixed it. I didn't see how arrogant I had become. I felt entitled, as if God owed me. I had done things right. I had waited until marriage. And I had even walked away from a previous sweetheart that I loved when it became apparent that he was not truly a believer as I thought he was. Um, I only wanted a marriage like God said I should have, like in Ephesians 5. What arrogance. I was blind to that. God, I've given you everything you asked for. Mm -hmm. Why can't you give me the one thing I asked for? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I began to start recognizing because of the Lord's work in my heart one day I was convicted, I remember being on the back porch and I was feeling convicted about those idols of food and television. And as I was praying about that, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. You know, he just breaks through sometimes. And he said, those things are not your idols. Your wall is. The ironclad wall. You yes. Your heart. I had never thought about that before. And I was pretty shocked. But when I thought about it, it's like, yeah, the, the binge eating and the television were just like bricks and mortar that I used to keep my wall intact. Um, I was dedicated to that wall. I had built it thick and tall and I was committed to maintaining it at all costs. No one was gonna get close to my heart and I was determined not to be hurt again and so I hardened my heart repeatedly even though scripture says that's dangerous. Yeah, yeah. so a little bit at a time, um, the Lord 
began to show me things about my hardened heart and about his own faithfulness in spite of it. One of the first things he showed me was that my wall that I had built to keep out the pain, what I'd really done was wall myself in with it. Because all through the years, um, pain would just pop up in my heart and I would beat it down into submission in one place and then it would pop up somewhere else. So I'd go beat it down somewhere else. And it just became like a game of whack-a-mole. So I, I think of in terms of that uh, because it would just keep happening over and over. All inside the wall. All inside. Um, so there I was in the wall with the pain. And then the Lord, a couple of different times, he started talking to me about the intimacy that I craved so much. And the first thing I remember he brought to mind one time was that um, when I was a child and I received him into my heart, he called me to himself one on one. He had called me to himself in intimacy. And I had never really thought of it that way before. And so right from the beginning, it's like, yes, there's intimacy here. Um, but I hadn't seen it. But that's become really precious to me. And then another thing that he spoke to my heart about was my 50 plus year wrestling match with him. <laughs> because that's what my Christian life felt like. I thought, why does it have to be so hard? I'm just constantly, it's wrestling year after year after year. And again, uh, I don't know if it was a quiet time or just when it was, but the Lord spoke to my heart. He, the Holy Spirit came through and it was like, you know, wrestling is about as up close and personal as it gets. Wrestling is intimacy. It's not the comfortable kind that you want, but it's very intimate, intimate nonetheless. And I came to see that his continuing to wrestle with my stubborn, hardened heart truly was, like the song says, the love that would not let me go. And um, in his faithfulness, he was hanging on to me in the only way that I would tolerate it. So even I couldn't snatch myself out of his hand. And that has become very precious to me as well. All of that must have taken years. Yeah. Uh, Randy, what's, what's going on in your heart over those same years? Eh, nothing, nothing. Yeah, you were just, no, just cruising here. Yeah. No, the years, uh, as the years went by, Joy, the Lord continued working on me as well. I wanted our marriage to be healed, but it seemed like an impossible situation. I mean, year after year after year. Uh, we were complete opposites. Neither of us knew how to communicate. He left us feeling stuck and believing the lie that there was absolutely no hope for change in our marriage. Uh, we were both committed to the Lord and to each other, but there was a time when I tiptoed up to the line of divorce and I peeked across it and I recently found a letter that I had written to myself back in 2002. So I'm going to read this letter that I wrote yeah. to myself yeah, here and I found it. So at any rate, this could be a little emotional getting through this. So anyway, this was the worst day. It was while on a walk I came to the realization that there was no light at all in this dark tunnel. I felt like we both had walked up to the line of divorce and glanced over to the other side. After mulling this over, I realized that the only reason to stay together was because of our commitment to the marriage covenant that we had made before Almighty God. Satan was now threatening or testing us to see if we really meant those vows. I realized that while the only reason we should stay together was because of our vows, that is the only reason I needed to stay together. I decided right then that no matter what, that I was going to honor my commitment to Allison and to God. My only hope was in God and in my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I started to praise and to worship the Lord. I told him that he was my only hope as the tears welled up in my eyes. I told him that if all else fails, that he never fails. And I believed during this dark moment that he would honor me and Allison for keeping our vows and would somehow do a miracle for that is what I was asking for. My faith, my faith was the only thing I had left. I knew it was God's will for us to stay together. I thanked him for what he was doing during this desert walk. And that was 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you've been married for 20 years. <laughs> And it just struck me as you were reading that if you hadn't stayed, we wouldn't be talking right now about the desert wandering and the slow growth of life in this desert. Mm -hmm. It's a slow growth. It's a slow growth. Yeah. Um, often when I'm doing premarital counseling with people, I, I quote a Christian ethicist who wrote an article in 83 saying who we are the sum total of our identities is the promises we make and keep. 
mm-hmm. promises we make and the ones that we choose to keep. Because at the end of your life, you are all the promises you made and kept. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, Allison, um, did did you know Randy was was tiptoeing to this line that that coming to the point of looking over the line at divorce and then saying, no, God, I'm, I'm keeping my promise to you. Like, <clears throat> I don't know that I thought then that he was really thinking about that. One thing we had done, and we'd gone to conferences and things, uh, somebody had made the comment that you, you don't include the word divorce in your vocabulary right. as a believer. Right. And so we had said that, so I didn't know that he was thinking in that direction. But the Lord was at work. I, I was thinking when you read your quote that you just mentioned about the sum of our promises, mm-hmm. uh, I hadn't heard that before. And aren't we glad that we have a God who is 100%? It's made in <laughs> He's the only reason we're here. He made, including yeah. this, this promise to you two that mm-hmm. um, saying you are my only hope. Yeah. yeah, we're the only reason. He's the only reason we're still here. But there's still more desert to get through. There is. Uh, it's a big desert. It's a long desert. Big desert. It's, it's almost a 40-year wilderness wandering. Yeah, there we're you go. 25 years into it. So. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes. What's next? Yep. Well, as he said, that was in 2002. And even a long time after that, we wandered in the desert circling the same issues for years. The Lord was at work, but it didn't feel as though he was. Um, Marriage was the loneliest place in my life, and I could see the empty nest approaching, and I was dreading it. I was really dreading it. So I asked Randy once again if I could go see another Christian counselor that we knew of, and he agreed that I could do that. And so I started seeing her, and she was great. Um, I saw her for three years, and I did learn, and I grew, and you know, uh, it was a, a good overall thing. The Lord did use this counselor in my life, but not in the way I expected. I saw her for three years, and she was wonderful. I did learn and grow through being with her. Um, but it wasn't yet God's time to heal. It was God's time to show me just how deceptive my heart could be. So one time during a session with her, she shared some information with me that is true and it's good to know. She said that anger is not the worst problem that a relationship can have because anger really is proof that a heart cares. She said the worst thing that you can face in your relationship is indifference. If your heart doesn't care, then your relationship is in real trouble. And so on the surface, in my mind, I thought, yeah, I don't want to go down that road. You know, I got it here, but underneath the surface here. um, My heart ran in that direction because it saw another opportunity to add another layer of that wall. And so I thought, if I don't hurt, if I don't care, I don't hurt, and that's going to fix it. I thought it would take the pain away, but it didn't it made the pain far worse, made it far worse. And it morphed into what I call my toxic attitude. So from our history, um, you could see why physical intimacy has often been a sad place for me, like after the fact. Um, But it was never because of any kind of abuse or wrongdoing. Um, It was just because of the lack of bonding and wounded emotions that had never been healed. And so at this point in my life, I came to absolutely hate it. And because it was mandated in scripture, I never really said the word no, but um, that made it even more painful really for both of us than if I had. Things went from bad to worse and it was only again by God's grace that he enabled me to recognize what was happening. And so I changed my attitude so that the toxicity was gone, but the heartache was still there. So you're your heart has been manufacturing these different ways to live, to try to live comfortably within the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, but the wall itself isn't down yet. Um, so we'll fast forward we're a little bit. There. Yeah. We're getting there. Yeah, so we're-, we're getting there. So we'll, 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 let's jump up to just a couple of years ago to where you began to see the wall crumble and, and things start to happen. Well, ironically, one thing that we did every year was to uh, go on a trip. To celebrate our uh, anniversary, you know, go figure that out. You know. But uh, our anniversary is in January. Most people head down to Florida, but we don't. We love cold and snow. So every January, just about every January, we'd hop in a car. The weather's more interesting. Absolutely. You got to go see those lake effect snow squalls coming on down. But we would head up to Upper Michigan. And when we we're up there, we would uh, almost always spend the last night with our friends who live in Traverse City. 
Uh, they had been our spiritual mentors way back in the early days of our marriage. Our friend Lou had eventually become a pastor and a counselor, and we had confided in him over the years and sought his help every once in a while. And when we visited back in 2019, I kept looking for an opportunity to speak to him privately, but it never happened. So when we got home, and without telling Allison, I called Lou to tell him just how desperate that we were. He listened to me, and he offered to work with us for as long as we needed him, and then I told Allison that I had called him. Mm -hmm. And it was out of the blue for me, but I was immediately on board because something had to change, and that something was mostly me. Um, we began weekly phone conversations with Lou, separate ones, um, in where he would take the truths of Scripture and apply them to our wounds and um, confront our negative patterns and to teach us how to relate to each other in more healthy ways. He worked with us over a period of nine months. And then at the end of that time, he said, I think you're ready, I'm gonna give you an assignment. Uh, and he called it the Forgiveness Project. And I'd never thought that forgiveness was a thing that we needed to deal with because um, what had happened between us was unintentional and it was just the enemy, you know, throwing our baggage at the worst possible time. Um, and it was just a train wreck. But Lou helped me to see that while that was true, that each of us was responsible for the way that we had reacted to it and for all the negative patterns that we had developed in response. Okay. So what did this forgiveness project consist of? What did you do? <sighs> each of us uh, was to write the other a letter, owning those things and empathizing with the pain that we had caused. Then we were to ask forgiveness for each item. When the day came, for once in my life, I couldn't talk. Because we had done this, I mean, all these years, and here we are to read our forgiveness letter to each, each other here. And I couldn't talk, not because I was unprepared, but because I was so overcome with emotion that I couldn't get the words out. It took a long time. I mean, probably five or ten minutes, I just sat there weeping before I read my letter. But in the end there, I was finally able to read my letter and ask forgiveness for the pain that I had been responsible for over all these years. And, um, you know, his tears that day spoke louder than any words that he could have written. Um, when it was my turn, I did not shed a tear because I had been so practiced with my hardened heart all those years in stifling them. But my words were no less authentic because we had done the work and I had thought through every single word with intentionality. I had chosen each one. And the words that I chose and spoke were exactly the words that I needed to own and confess and ask forgiveness for. And um, it was a precious time and it was exactly what we needed to do. We always thought that if the Lord ever healed our relationship, it would be a mountaintop experience. We've yes. arrived, you know. Those secrets. But it hasn't, yeah, but it hasn't been that way, and it usually is not that way. Instead, peace has quietly slipped into a place between us. Things that, things aren't perfect, but we don't expect them to be. Uh, we're doing things differently now. We, t we take time to ask intentional questions and to uh, draw us into a deeper conversation. We are responding, responding to offenses here differently and are quicker to make things right. We will always have to be intentional, but things have changed. After 38 long years in the desert, the Lord continues to heal us. We're not there, but he continues to heal us. I love the phrase, peace quietly slipped in. Mm -hmm. Even just a moment ago, Randy, as you were wrestling with your emotion, I watched Allison grab your hand and I just about lost it. <laughs> I don't know if people can, we'll be able to see her grab your hand under the table, but peace. I'm already losing again. You know, through all these years, we've never doubted that we were supposed to be together. Um, I've referred to the enemy causing our train wreck, and I have no doubt that he was involved and he sought to destroy us. But um, I've also wrestled with the fact that God is sovereign and he didn't prevent any of it. And so, in reading Psalm 139 one day, and it's a psalm I'd read hundreds and hundreds of times, but two phrases just popped out at me that relate to this so well. One of, one of them is, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Every single day of our lives is ordained. And then the other phrase was, you created my inmost being. God created my particular heart 
and he knew exactly how the events that he ordained would affect it. Paul David Tripp has a quote that I really like that puts this into perspective. He said, God will lead you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. He calls it the theology of uncomfortable grace. It can be downright excruciating, but grace it is. And if I can just add here too, uh, some encouragement to couples out there who are struggling. I know we all struggle in some form or another. Um, never give up, never give up. I know for Allison and me, it was 38 long years. You know, you think, where is God? Why has it taken so long to start crumbling down that wall? But as we learned and we're learning that God would do things in his way, God would do it in his timing. Mm -hmm. God is never in a hurry, but he's never a day late. You may not understand why you're going through this long ordeal, but we knew that we had the commitment to stay together, to keep our vows before God and each other here, and by his grace, we persevered through it. So we just encourage others, hang in there. Keep the promise. Mm -hmm. One day at a time. Yeah. Well, recently I was studying another passage and I wanted to share that one too, about some things that just jumped out. Um, it was Hebrews 12, one to three, and that's the passage where Jesus is called the author and perfecter of our faith. Mm -hmm. And I had always seen that, you know, more with a big picture in mind that God planned out and Jesus carried out the work that was necessary for us to be saved. And that's true, he did. But that day when I was reading it, it dawned on me that he is the author and perfecter of each individual journey of faith. Jesus himself ran the toughest course that's ever been run so that we wouldn't have to. Knowing each of our hearts intimately, he authors our perfect course. He designs the perfect path for each of us. He's the perfecter, our personal trainer. He's there with us doing what it takes to conform us to his image and that's his ultimate goal. The victor coaches and cheers us on towards the goal of finishing well. And doing that takes his blood along with a lot of our sweat and tears. Um, the Lord has had us running this course together. And if we designed it, we would have skipped the heartache. We would have done everything possible to avoid 38 years in the desert. But we've come to see that the Lord has been faithful at doing what he promised all along and that is changing us through it. His ways are not our ways. He can and does use utter heartbreak to bring about ultimate healing. And it is worth the struggle. Well, thank you both for sitting down with us and sharing um, a part of the vows in for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, that um, none of us want to live, but many of us do. Mm -hmm. And thanks for showing us God's grace in the midst of that. Thank you for letting yes. us share. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we'll be praying that uh, that your story uh, helps a lot of people find hope and uh, hope for their own journey as well in Christ. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, next week, Jim and Nancy Fair will be sharing part of their faith journey. I hope that you found today to be encouraging, and we pray. I know all three of us do that. It has pointed you to Jesus.